Thanks for the invite to be here. Thank you for having me, brothers and sisters in Christ. It is a joy to be with you, and so many things that have happened already this morning in, in worship and hearing from Ron and Amy, and um, good things happening. Praise God. Praise God for this church in this area. Um, let me just start by sharing a little bit more about Serving Leaders. Serving Leaders is a ministry that's been around in the Philadelphia area for about 15 years. Started in Westchester, that's where the mothership is located. Our first um, hub or, or other office is in Willow Grove, just up Easton Avenue, and that's where I serve. We have about 25 counselors on staff, and our speciality is working with ministry leaders, um, pastors, elders, um, but, but normal people too, and, and so we, uh, we uh, encourage you, if, if you ever need help, go to Josh, go to John, and, and, and they would love to direct you to um, one of our counselors. Besides counseling, we do mediation services, we provide resources. I think one of the first times um, Josh and I met was at a ministry leaders gathering um, here in the area, and uh, it's been a joy to get to know you too, brother. Really thankful for you. So, um, And yeah, everything you said about the family was pretty much up to date. We do have one kid, our, our third, who's now in college, um, and our oldest has just graduated from college, so it was horrible family planning to have that um, financially, but... <laughs> Be that as it may. All right. Um, let's get into God's word. And um, let me read. Um, I'm going to start in chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 31, and then uh, through verse 3 in chapter 2. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning. The sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. Oh my goodness. So we're Presbyterian. That was very Presbyterian of you. Thank you. Good job. Well done. All right. Um, I'm going to pray in just a second here, but I, I want us to, to start this way, just to think a little bit about this question. If you could do anything in the world and time and cost wasn't an issue, what would it be? I'm going to give you just a few examples. Um, climb Mount Everest. Uh, ride a jet ski from Miami to the Bahamas. Play LeBron James one-on-one -on -one in basketball and win. Um, what else? Start a ministry in Haiti or Milan, Italy. Um, write a best-selling mystery novel. Now, those, those are my things, by the way. Um, those are big. They're monumental. But how about something that might be uh, a little less exotic, a bit more practical, but would be amazing nonetheless? Rest. Sleep. Just not to be tired all the time. Now, I was a pastor at uh, Denver Baptist Church for seven years and had a dear friend, a fellow elder, um, who, when we talked about labor and rest, he would, ha-ha, um, you pastors only work one day a week anyway, what's the problem? And be that as it may, I think for most of us who ascribe to Judeo-Christian 21st century work ethic, 
Um, this following quote might be more appropriate for all of us, whether you're a pastor, a mom, a counselor, a teacher, a plumber. This is from pastor-slash-academic-slash-counselor Wayne Muller. He wrote, A successful life has become a violent enterprise. We make war on our own bodies, pushing them beyond their limits. Remarkably, within the mosaic of the people that he was visiting with as a counselor, he writes, There is a universal refrain. I am so busy. As work all piles endlessly upon itself, the whole experience of being alive begins to melt into one enormous obligation. It becomes the standard greeting everywhere. I am so busy. So for you, are you crazy busy? Just got to get through these next few days, weeks, months, and then things will slow down. And I think for some of us, when we think about, yeah, I'm busy, we feel like, yeah, it kind of justifies my existence. I'm indispensable. See how busy I am. I think for most of us, it's more like I'm, I'm in the grind, and I don't like it, but I don't know how to push pause. I don't know how to stop. I'm just trying to keep up. And, and I think that people generally, particularly even within the church, are tired Maybe not so much physically, but, but spiritually and emotionally. There's too much going on. There's too much information coming our way. Not enough time to develop some wisdom based on that knowledge that's coming towards us. There's so much to do and to be and to become. And we're tired. So let's pray. This is a prayer from Richard Exley that I'm going to share with us. But would you pray with me? Abba Father, um, I'm tired, Lord, and... Uh, Speaking for many of my brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, we're bone-weary from the inside out, tired of a constantly cluttered desk and house and an overcrowded calendar, tired of problems I can't solve, hurts I can't heal, tired of deadlines and decisions, duties done without any pleasure. Lord, I can't recall the last time I smelled coffee and paused to enjoy it or took time to smell the air after the rain. I want to feel, I want to laugh, I want to cry, I want to live life to the fullest. I want to love and be loved. Lord, help. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Josh mentioned, um, I think most of the work that I do um, is doing counseling for pastors and ministry leaders, and it's a similar refrain for, for those ministry leaders. I'm tired. We deal with a lot in our organization with, with pastors, leaders who are burnt out, um, who are tired of putting out fires, who want to just stop. And, and, that, and this seems to be true then generally, as I mentioned, for whatever vocation you're in. And in the midst of all the busyness of the, the pastors and ministry leaders and friends that I talk to, it's this feeling that my soul is just kind of shrinking in the midst of doing things. What's next? What's next? What do I have to do next? What's on the calendar? What do I have to do tomorrow? What's coming up next week? And there's always something to do. And, and the thought then is, what if there was another way? What if there was a different way of living life? What if this wasn't the way? What if... The church were so countercultural that we pushed back against busyness and the grind and said, no, there is another way, and it's good. And so we look to God's word to see if there is a cure to what ails us. And today is really practical. As we look at this passage, Genesis 1, through 2, verse 3, we have here what's called exalted prose. 
sort of a mix of narrative and poetry. And when I say that, don't hear what I'm not saying. It, uh, I'm not saying that it's not true truth, as Francis Schaeffer would say. This is historical narrative, but there's a, 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 a symmetry, a rhythm to this creation account, even into chapter 2. And here's what I think is incredible about the creation story. It all happens, this amazing flurry of activity in a week, and then in chapter 2 we read this. We read the words, finished, finished, rest, rested. And we read the word all in the context of all the work was finished three times. And we have to think, well, God wasn't weary. It wasn't like such great effort exhausted him. And yet he rested after he completed his work. That's God's rhythm as shown through this passage. And we juxtapose that with maybe your own life, our own lives. In our house, dirty dishes multiply. And um, there's always something to do. There's always an activity to get to. If your kids are involved in sports or uh, drama or, or whatever, you have job uh, crises that come up, there's always something. And so life then, again, seems like it's, I'm, I'm brushing my teeth while I'm eating Oreos. This is just, it's not working. But here, God finishes his work, and it's good, it's complete, and he rested. Okay, we could say, well, well, I'm not God. No, but we were made in his image. Image bearers of God as vice regents or stewards of his kingdom. You think, what's a steward? What's a vice regent? Think of Denethor. Uh, and ministerate. That's my one Lord of the Rings reference today. It was part of my contractual obligation. I had to bring Lord of the Rings up, but just think of it that way. We're made in God's image to be stewards of his kingdom, right? So we're to see God's example of rest. It's what our Father does. Okay, that's what I do, and it becomes a rhythm for us. When my family lived in St. Louis, Brennan, uh, our third oldest, was about four years old at the time. And we have an old picture of me mowing the lawn in St. Louis, and Brennan was, was walking in front of, this is like Bad Parenting 101, right? He was walking in front of the lawnmower as I'm mowing, and it was a picture of he's proudly working with me. And as we got done, I, I said to Brennan, man, that was hard work. Let's go grab a Coca-Cola, watch some football. And he's like, yeah, that was hard. He didn't do anything, but he's like, that was hard work. Let's, let's get that Coke, right? And, and so it, it was a picture of, yeah, my dad does this, so I do it. As a loving father, God calls us, what you see in me, do it. God calls us to rest with him. That's his rhythm. That's the beauty of the Christian faith that we're invited into this rhythm, united to Christ, living a life indissolubly connected to our creator. So that's really the first point. Follow the example of your father. God gives us the example. And again, he doesn't need the rest. And maybe you're saying, listen, I'm fine. It's all good. I've got stamina. I can do this. I'm living my best life now. Follow the example of your father. He didn't need rest, but he shows us how life was created to work best. And we remember this, this passage, it's pre-fall. We don't rest because of sin and brokenness of the world, though that, that would be a good reason, resting is actually innately human and holy and good. 
Now, we read that God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. And holy, as you probably well know, means to set apart. And this provides the basis for the people of Israel and for us to rest from normal labor on the Sabbath day. Now, we read in Exodus 20 that we're to remember the Sabbath, the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath, to set it apart for our rest. And a little alarm should go, it's not a thou shalt or thou shalt not, it's a remember, hearkening back to the creation account, remembering that day that God rested. It's holy, it's special, it's different, it's not normal. That's God's rhythm, that's our rhythm. So, so the question, I think, for us becomes, why don't we do this? Maybe some of you do it quite swimmingly, it's, it's, it's great. Today is um, a day of rest for you, it's solemn, it's, and we'll talk about some of the practical implications of what that looks like. But I think for a lot of us, why don't we do this? We take this fourth commandment more as a suggestion rather than a command, or we qualify the command to death. Now, we think of Sabbat, uh, Saturday, uh, rest in Hebrew. Christian tradition, rightly so, I believe, has the Sabbath rest day on Sunday now, the Lord's Day when Christ rose from the dead. And we could also remember that I'm working today, it's Sunday, the Lord's Day, and I'm not resting, I'm working, but we read in Colossians 2, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. We remember, okay, yeah, the idea of the Sabbath is a shadow, it's a, a sign signifying something deeper. In this case, God's rhythm and our connection to him so it isn't so much the day, what day you enjoy the Sabbath, but it's taking a Sabbath rest. It does mean what it says. Now, some of you may remember, um, probably in the same way that you remember 8-track tapes, there used to be a time when culturally, Sunday was a day. Businesses were closed. You don't do anything. I grew up in northwest Iowa, right? If you wanted to uh, mow the lawn, wash your car, you're, you're going to get a stink eye from a neighbor. It was like one step below to work on the Sabbath, one step below like having an adulterous affair and smoking crack. And I'm not even exaggerating. So if you wanted to fill up your gas tank, you're out of luck. If you wanted to grab some beef or burgers on the grill that night and you didn't have any in the fridge, well, you're going to have to revise the menu. Now, there's soccer, there's lawn mowing, there's going out to eat, there's a few hours at the office maybe, or more likely just working at home. Um, what changed? What changed culturally? Well, industrialization, I think, over the course of dozens of years, maybe in part, maybe a fear of legalism, probably the, the fact that we live in a sort of post-Christian culture. But I think even within the church, there's kind of this, meh. We don't see the command as being particularly important and maybe not even particularly good. And that's my second point. Rest is good. It's good. And I want us to think about this. We don't look at the Lord's Day as a mosaic law that we have to keep or risk God's curse. 
but rather as a blessing, a holy day set apart for our good. That seems to be the principle. And so if we look at the New Testament, uh, look at Jesus. He was healing people on the Sabbath, performing miracles on the Sabbath. In one particular case, he and his disciples were, were picking heads of grain and, and eating on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? This is Mark 2, verse 27. And Jesus, the best teacher of the law, because he made the law, told them the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the command is not given to you in order to see if you measure up. The command is not given to you by a cosmic killjoy who just arbitrarily gives you demands to make life hard or to punish you. No, the command, rather, is a gift. The Sabbath day is God's gift saying, enter into my rest. This is for you. It's for your delight, for your joy, for your refreshment. God knows what's good for us because he made us. And he gives us a day of rest for our good. Okay, so we're kind of going back. Okay, that sounds great, but do we do this? Do we enjoy it? Do we see it as a blessing, as good? Is the Lord's day holy to you? Or is it pretty much like any other day? Or does your Sunday look very much like your Saturday? Will you rest today? And amidst all the concerns about tomorrow and what you're going to do and how it's going to get done, will you rest? And, and I think, and this is my brief third point, it's a faith issue. So I used to work with students at the University of Pennsylvania, and on Mondays we'd do a little debrief with our students. How was your weekend? It was great. What'd you do? I studied. Uh, how was your Sunday? It was awesome. Went to church, took a nap, but I also studied for like six hours. Like, interesting. Why, why is that? You don't think you need to rest? Well, yeah, Tucker, but you don't understand. If I don't, if I don't study for this midterm, I'm going to fail. And when they said that translation was, I'm going to get something less than an A. And I would gently, I hope, challenge them and say, um, what's more important, a good grade or obedience to your father? Now, pastors, um, those of us who are adults in any vocation, we can do that too. If I don't take care of this issue that's come up in my business or at the church or, or at home, things are going to implode. What's more important? Growing your business or obedience to God. So I think Sabbath rest is a way of dethroning us. We're image bearers, but we're still creaturely. So just as our first parents were utterly dependent upon God the Father, so are we. So the question becomes, do, do I trust you, God? Do I believe that the world is on your shoulders, not on mine? Do I trust you that you're going to provide for me if I don't work today, if I rest? Do you believe that? So let, let's be practical. Uh, what, what does the Sabbath rest look like? Just four Four foundational qualities, I think. Um, you guys can wrestle with, with these. Let's see what you think. The first, ceasing. Stop. Most of us work five days a week and then we cram as much as we can into Saturday and Sunday, usually leaving us more tired on Sunday at 5 p.m. than we were at Friday on Friday at 5 p.m. So one day a week, we cease. We honor the command and thus honor God 
And we stop. We stop working. We stop worrying. We stop chasing kids to games or practices or concerts. We stop the, the relentless assault of culture on us. And so that may mean we're, we're shutting down the, commu- uh, the computer and social media. And I think it's, again, a faith issue. Will God take care of us and our concerns if we obey him by stopping to keep the Sabbath? That's the first, ceasing. Secondly, resting. Theologian Marvadon notes that if we're not resting one day a week, we're taking ourselves far too seriously. That sounds about right. And so this includes physical rest. Take a nap. It's great. It's a glorious thing. Rest. Take it easy. But this includes spiritual rest too. Resting in God's word. Resting in prayer. Resting in the beauty of art or a good book. Resting in worship. And I think the, the big principle behind it, there's no goals that I have today. No accomplishments. And I think, just to keep in mind, some of us, you you work at a desk five days a week, and maybe even on Saturday. And so, if your time is spent behind a desk, rest for your body and your spirit may mean getting up and going out for a walk, enjoying creation, splashing in the pool, tinkering in the garden. It's okay to include play in your Sabbath keeping as long as it's play giving life and restoration. So that's the rest. And that leads into the third thing, delight. It was very good, God said. God delighted in his creation. What if Sunday was a day to stop and rest, but also to delight in the beauty of his creation? And that can include so many different things. Preparing a good meal for friends. Um, Walking through the Barnes Foundation or the Art Museum. Um, Hiking the Wissahickon delighting in God's goodness and creation. And then finally, the fourth thing is contemplate. Contemplation. The Sabbath is a day holy to the Lord. We set the day apart to contemplate the holiness of the Lord, the love of God. We do that at church as as brothers and sisters in Christ. We consider what God has done. We confess together, then we rejoice in God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ and his redemption. We, we sing songs and extolling the virtues of God. We read scripture. We partake of communion. And as we do that, we contemplate the greater rest that awaits us. An eternal Sabbath feast before the face of God because of what Jesus has done. And friends, I just want to close this way. The Sabbath reminds us that there's a day coming when we'll have a lasting Sabbath when we'll rest from our, our world and lives of sin and suffering and tears, all based on what Jesus has done. We look forward to that. And maybe Sunday is just a day to do that. I'm looking forward with hope in what God is, is going to do ultimately. Yeah, we're living in the already. We're not in the, the not yet of, of the glory of God's kingdom being consummated once and for all, but we hope in that. We have an, an assurance, a guarantee because of what Jesus Christ has done. And so we remember again the gospel, the good news of Jesus' infallible devotion to us in spite of our wavering devotion to him. You be, maybe you're thinking, man, I've done horrible with this. I don't rest on Sundays or any day. And, and maybe you're thinking, well, listen, there are certain things that I'm doing. And I'm, I'm trying to make sense in my mind, talk about what you're talking about. I still have to change my kids' diapers. Yes, of course. We come back to grace. 
God's love for you in Christ Jesus, who's inviting you into this rest for your good, for your refreshment, for your delight, for his glory. We always ground that in the gospel. Remembering the gospel is really, even this, friends, not a command to hang on to Jesus, but it's the assurance that Jesus is hanging on to you and will never let go. You are so loved. It's a promise that no matter how weak and unsuccessful your faith and efforts may be, God is always holding on to you. That's ultimately what we rest in, the gospel of God's grace. So I want you to hear that this morning, even more than the, the imperative rest, y'all. Ground that in the indicative, the, the truth of the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ. So let's pray together. Lord God, we praise you for your goodness, your grace, your loving kindness. And Lord Jesus, we come to you as those who labor relentlessly, heavily laden with the cares of this world, and we seek the rest that you offer. Lord, help us to put your yoke upon ourselves, to be connected to you, that we would learn from you what holy rest even is, for you are gentle and lowly in heart, gracious and kind, and in you we find rest for our souls. For your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Holy Spirit, we pray for conviction, but we also pray, Lord God, for comfort. So, Holy Spirit, do that work in us, in our hearts, in our minds. For the sake, O oh God, of your glory and our joy, in Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.